Well, as I was saying at the beginning, today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday comes at the end of this kind of retelling of the gospel story that we do through the Christian year. We start at Advent, uh, where we kind of think about the coming of God to us. Then we celebrate the coming of Christ in the incarnation at Christmas. We then go on thinking about the story of Christ. And then, of course, we come to his death on Good Friday. We celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday, the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost last week. And now we sum all of that up and say, what is this God that is revealed to us through Christ and the Spirit? Well, it is this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or as one theologian has put it, God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead by the Spirit. That is the God we worship today. And so as we come to Trinity Sunday, we worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we worship God in a particular context. And I want to think for a moment about what it means to worship this God, this particular cultural moment that we stand in in our nation and also in our world. Because if we're honest, the last few months have not been easy ones for our country. Just two days ago on Friday, we remembered the second anniversary of the Grenfell Tower fire, which happened not many miles away, further in North Kensington. And uh, it was a kind of memory of that stark, seismic event that affected not just that local community, but people across our country, across even the whole world. We have become very aware in recent months of the epidemic of knife crime that has swept across our capital, our city. Even these last couple of days, yet more young people's lives lost because of that lack of hope that leads people in to gangs and drugs and knife crime and all that leads from that too. We've been very aware of the damage we are doing to our planet through climate change, through those demonstrations about climate change that happened just a few weeks ago here in our capital, is drawing our attention to the destruction and devastation that we're doing to our land and oceans and rivers and atmosphere. And then, of course, there's Brexit and that sense of polarization that we've experienced in our nation. I was looking just today at the Guardian website. There's an article there written by uh, someone who's an experienced pollster, someone who takes opinion polls. And uh, the uh, headline of this article was was this, Divided, Pessimistic, Angry. Survey reveals bleak mood of the UK. And this experienced pollster said this. She said, "I, I cannot recall a time when the national mood was more despairing. So whether that's on the national level or whether it's on a personal level, for us there are so many things that disturb our sense of equilibrium as well. London is a a very busy, stressful place sometimes to live in. It can be hard to find rest here. We know that mental health is such an issue amongst younger people and older people as well. Anxiety is on the rise. If you've had a family going through exams in the last few weeks as well, GCSEs or A-levels, you'll know something of the stress that comes upon families at the same time too. So whether it's personal or whether it's national or whether it's even international, we're living through very troubled times. Now, there is a moment in the Gospels 
where Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace is one of those gifts that is given to us by the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Spirit is peace. But that phrase of Jesus, when he says, I give you a peace, but not as the world gives, it leaves a question for us. What is the difference between the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world gives? And I think at the heart of it is the idea that the peace that the world gives is always a rather temporary peace. When our children were small, we used to read a book to them which was called Five Minutes Peace. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you will probably know this book. It's a book about a family of elephants. And Mother Elephant is trying to find five minutes peace. And uh, she comes downstairs and she makes her breakfast and she has her toast and her cup of tea. And she's about to have her five minutes piece of breakfast. And all the kids start piling in, the little baby elephants, and they all want all kinds of things going on. And so, so she escapes the kitchen. And she goes upstairs and she tries to have a bath. And she runs the bath and she's lying there peacefully, quietly, and she thinks she's finally going to have five minutes peace. But then, of course, the baby elephants, they all pile into the bathroom as well and they start asking for stories. One of them plays a tune. They bring their toys and pile them into the bath. She is trying to find peace, but she just cannot find it. Eventually, she makes her way back down to the kitchen again and she just has a brief moment. She says she has three, second, three minutes and 45 seconds of peace until... The kids pile in again and the peace disappears. The search for five minutes peace. Now, you don't have to have kids to know that feeling. Where can I find just a little bit of peace in a stressful life? Maybe you have a holiday. Maybe you're looking forward to your summer holidays right now and you go for a week somewhere and you sit by a pool or on a beach or out in the countryside and you have a week's peace but it doesn't last very long. And before long, you're back here in London, back into work or activity or whatever else it is that fills our lives and somehow takes peace away from it, from us. Many people around our city try to practice things like mindfulness or yoga, trying to find a little bit of peace in a stressful world, but it's very hard to keep that sense of peace. Now, this is the peace the world gives. And it's a peace that never quite lasts. Because lurking behind it is always the fear that that peace is going to get taken away. Something's going to come along and destroy the peace that we have. And ultimately, there is the fear that not just that little moment of peace will be taken away, but everything will be taken away when our life comes to an end and we go into death itself. There is this fear that the peace we have will never last because ultimately, at the end of the day, death will swallow up everything. Now, the peace that Jesus gives is different. In our gospel reading just a few moments ago, we heard those words that said this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, there they are, anxious, fearful, lacking peace. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, St. Paul grasped this. He said at one point, Jesus came and preached peace 
to you who are far away and peace to, to those who are near. So what is different about this peace than the peace the world gives? And the answer is that this is the only peace that is spoken to us from the other side of the grave. No one else can speak that peace into our lives. This is a peace that is never going to be swallowed up by the grave because it's spoken to us from the other side of death. This is a peace that transcends all other peace, that goes deeper than all other peace because it's spoken to us from the other side of the grave. And it tells us that even though things may look dark and fearful now, ultimately the future is peace. There's a German theologian called Helmut Thielicke who uh, gives a very good image of what this piece is like. And he says it's a bit like walking into an art gallery. And imagine walking into an art gallery and there are two paintings on either side of the room. And the two paintings are of the same scene. Both are landscapes. And they are a picture of a group of people walking through a landscape. And on one side, there is a little group of people walking through the landscape and there's a little sunbeam of light shining upon them. And so around them there's a little pool of light, a little pool of sunshine, and they're looking kind of rather happy and glad about life. But it's only a very small pool of light because around them there are dark trees, there are shadows, and in the distance on the path they're treading there are mountains that look dark and foreboding and there are storms breaking over it, lightning and thunder, and you feel there's a little bit of peace, but the background is dark. That's the peace the world gives. A brief moment of peace against a background that is dark and foreboding and fearful. But on the other side of the art gallery there's another painting and it's similarly a picture of a landscape and a group of people walking through that landscape. And here the group of people are in a shadow. There's a cloud above them and there's a shadow over them and there's a bit of darkness around them but all around that shadow is light. The forest and the trees are full of color and light. In the distance, the mountains are, are lit by the sun that shines upon them. And so you sense that where they're going, the journey that they're heading in is actually towards light and not darkness. Now that is the difference. The peace that the world gives is trying to find just a little bit of peace against the darkness, the fear, the anxiety, the dread of what may come. The peace that Jesus gives may mean that you actually do experience a bit of shadow. You experience trial and struggles and anxiety and so on. But it's against the background of a future that is bright, that is full of light and peace. This peace that is spoken to us from the other side of the grave. And the knowledge that that's the peace that Jesus gives can suddenly transform all that we have so that the troubles we go through, the anxieties that we experience are not the great shadow that, that threatens to swallow up everything, but they're just a brief moment of anxiety against a background of peace and light and life. Now what does that mean for us and what does that speak to us as to how we live within this cultural moment? A few moments, a few little bit later on in John's Gospel. At the end of the Gospel, Jesus, the risen Jesus comes and says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as Jesus sends us into the world with his peace at the end of this service, what does he send us to do? 
What do we do with this gift of peace? And as I close, just four very brief things that we do with this peace. The first thing we're invited to do is to experience this peace. To hear Jesus saying to you from the other side of the grave, peace be with you. Not just everyone, not just all of London, not just the UK, but you individually. Peace be with, with you, with you, with you. And it's to hear that word of Jesus spoken to you from the other side of the grave and to let it settle in your heart and your mind. As you come forward for Holy Communion a little bit later on in this service and as you're given the bread and the wine, let that be a, a gift, if you like, of this an embodied gift of Christ's peace for you. And so we're invited to experience this peace, not just in church here, but day by day to make that a regular part of our life, starting each day with that life of prayer, where we invite Christ's peace to hold us, where we dwell in the peace that Jesus gives. So we allow that peace to hold us. Again, that's the difference. So often the peace the world gives, we're desperately trying to hold on to it because it slips away from our grasp. But the peace that Jesus gives is the peace that holds us rather than us having to hold it. So we're invited to experience this peace for ourselves. Next thing we're asked to do, I think, is to pray for this peace. When we're faced with the kind of issues I was speaking of earlier on, Brexit, knife crime, climate change, whatever it might be, we may feel rather helpless about all these things, but the one thing we can do is to pray. And so I would urge you to pray for our nation as we try to work out what on earth Brexit means for us. Pray for those young people who are drawn into knife crime, into the gang culture that leads to so much death and destruction. Pray for those who have a responsibility to change the way we treat our planet and our world so that we will make a difference when we think about climate change. Pray for that community in North Kensington that is still struggling with the trauma of what happened two years ago when 72 people died in Grenfell Tower. Pray for a world that so often lacks peace and needs it more than ever. Third thing we're invited to do is to make peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Is there a situation that you know of where God is calling you to make peace? Is there someone you need to make peace with today or tomorrow? Is there a situation, maybe a couple of people you know who aren't getting on and you might be able to do something to bring a bit of peace between them? Is there an email you need to send, a text at the end of this service? Is there something, a situation where God might use you to make a little bit of peace between people or in situations or in a neighborhood or whatever it might be? Then lastly, we're called to share peace to spread it around us. And we will do that in a few moments in our service. We will share the peace with one another as we greet one another in the name of Christ. But we're called to share peace, not just here in the church, but wherever we go outside it as well. So we enable other people to experience the peace, this peace that the world does not give, the peace that Jesus gives to us. Now we can do that in all kinds of ways. We can do that by inviting people onto Alpha when it starts again in the autumn. We can Invite it, even without waiting for Alpha to start, we can, invite, we can do it in other ways as well. I've um, 
in the last year or so, got to know a number of leaders of the church in China. And um, uh, whenever I meet Chinese church leaders, I always ask them the same question. I say, uh, what is the secret of your church? I say, look, in the 1970s, at the end of the Cultural Revolution, the church in China was tiny, hardly any people in it at all. And yet today there are, well, who knows how many Chinese Christians there are, maybe 75 million Chinese Christians, and it's fast becoming the largest Christian country in the world. By 2050, there'll be more Chinese Christians than any other nation in the world. And I say, what, what did you do? What's the difference? What's the secret? And usually when I ask that question, the answer I get is along these lines. They say, well, it's because every Chinese Christian knows it's their responsibility to pass their faith on to their neighbors and their friends and their family. And then I think, oh, we don't really have that in the Church of England, do we? That kind of culture. Maybe we need a bit more of it. And so then I ask, well, how do they do it? How do they pass on their faith to their friends and their neighbors and their, everybody else? And they say, well, it's very simple. They just invite them to church. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to know all the answers to the questions that people might ask about Christian faith. You just say this little line, would you come to church with me on Sunday? And when that happens, if they say no, that's fine. No skin off your nose or theirs. But if someone comes to church, they might just encounter Jesus. They might encounter Jesus in the fellowship and the friendship of his people gathered here, they might encounter Jesus in the word of a, the reading or the sermon. They might encounter Jesus in the bread and the wine when they come here to, to either watch or to, to take part. They might encounter Jesus in the singing of hymns or in worship. They might encounter Jesus when someone prays for them. There are all kinds of opportunities in which people might encounter Jesus when we just invite them to come. So we're called to share the peace of Christ with those who don't experience it, who are just trying desperately to find that little bit of peace, but they don't know about the peace that comes from the other side of the grave, the peace that can hold them in a way that the world's peace can never can. And so that is the peace that Jesus gives. He invites us to experience this peace for ourselves, to pray for that peace, to make peace where we can, and to share it with all those that we know inside and outside the church. We are people of peace. We're people who've been given this precious gift, the peace that the world cannot give. And as we experience it, as we pray for it, as we make it, as we share it, that is our privilege, our gift, and our calling. Amen.